benvenuti al caffè dell'alchimista ad ogni puntata ospiti d'eccezione to the mitochondria faster than it can take up the pyruvate stacks up out here in the cytoplasm per parlare degli elementi per una vita migliore dalla dieta alla nutrizione al fitness e all'esercizio fisico this is so important is because type 2 diabetes is 100% preventable passando attraverso il sonno il recupero la gestione dello stress il lavoro e la produttività il corpo riesce a rigenerarsi invece di stare lì a combattere per dislocazione errata delle energie del nostro sistema immunitario. Useremo strumenti come Ayurveda, biohacking e altri mirati a vivere una vita migliore. Positive thing in that sense that people become a little bit more aware and more interested in. Un aumento di quelle che sono le funzioni cognitive. Per studiare e conoscere noi stessi. Un po' come io. E quando noi sottoponiamo il nostro organismo a un determinato stress, possiamo parlare di allenamenti che Un percorso per prendere coscienza di quello che esiste, di quello che non serve, che non c'è necessario e trasmutarlo in qualcosa di utile, di positivo, di valore al fine di vivere una vita in pieno e al massimo potenziale nel corpo e nella mente e voi, siete pronti a farne parte? ok, ok, very good Mario good talk with you buddy keep it up, you're doing good stuff this is important what you're doing getting the word out today We are going to take a coffee with Timo Arena. Timo is from Finland. He has a professional career of more than 18 years as a technology entrepreneur, author, and professional speaker. He is one of the forefront thinkers on the intersection of the man and the machine, covering topics such as quantify self, biohacking, Internet of Things, wearable technology, and so on. The definition used for biohacking is the heart and the science of optimizing your body, mind, and performance within system thinking, technology, and biology. In other words, better living throughout science. Timu is also the founder of the Biohacking Center in Helsinki, and is also an advisor in many other things around the human performances. With the background music offered by our friend Mr. Francesco Albertazzi, let's go and take a coffee with Mr. Timorino. Enjoy the listen. Timo, welcome to our coffee. Before starting, we just met virtually not so long time ago when I was still in Dubai. But you are based in Helsinki, if I'm not wrong. Uh, how are you doing? 
I mean, I'm I'm good. The sun is shining here in Helsinki. It's uh, it's been a long winter plus coronavirus um, craziness. But uh, here in Finland, things are in terms of coronavirus. I mean, we're a small country, 5.5 million people. Things didn't get out of hand as uh, drastically as I guess in Italy. So the lockdown has not been that that uh, drastic. So I've been able to move around and so on. But of course, the restaurants are closed. But they're they're actually opening up uh, restaurants. I think next week, and uh, they already started opening borders here as well. <laughs> so I mean, it's exciting times. I think. Um, these kind of events remind people about the importance of comprehensive approach to health, especially in terms of preventive health care. I'm perfectly fine with what you said. Things are getting crazier and uh, sometimes we lose focus. We lose focus on our body, our mind, our lifestyle and on what we can do really prevent something to happen. Let's go straight to the point. Talk a little bit more about biohacking. And biohacking is all about all about understanding the human body and its environment uh, internally and externally and basically to balance things um, in that homeostatic biological system um, that also leads to better health, better immunity. So if we think of building resilience in human beings, um, the the viruses that are going around, it could be coronavirus or any other virus, the only natural way to prevent that is to take care of your immune system. And um, I mean, it's not only that you avoid contracting something like that, but also to avoid getting serious complications. And there is a lot of studies out there, for example, about the coronavirus, but also other RNA viruses and so on, how um, inadequate uh, nutrient intake, um, for example, low vitamin D levels or uh, low selenium or zinc um, can affect your ability to fight off Intruders. So I think it's uh, it's a time when when we don't have a medic medis, medical uh, treatment for something like this readily available and still research research and um, just about to be discovered that people realize that the only treatment for something like this is preventive and um, it makes people more interested in taking care of their health. So I see this as a positive thing in that sense that people become a little bit more aware and more interested in in their own health. So it's been very busy for me. I mean, frankly, I have to say that I've had a lot of fun in quarantine. Like I've been working quite a lot on webinars and different online events and ebooks, for example, the Barker's Rule Guide uh, that I started writing in January when, when I first saw some of the news coming, coming out. So it's been... It's been very busy time for me. Um, uh, in terms of business, it's being also uh, going pretty well because we are already online. Um, I organized the Biker Summit, which is a physical event. Our spring event in Amsterdam got postponed, but um, 
the Helsinki event is going to happen later this year. So it gave us the opportunity to focus more on that event and also to announce completely digital conferences like the Health Hacking Summit that I've been I've been doing. We did the first one on um, on the pandemic situation and the second one that's com- coming up is going to be more about optimizing work, especially remotely. So, I mean, we are doing this podcast digitally uh, in companies. Virtual meetings has been a thing that has been coming for years, but now it's um, becoming reality faster than any any uh, chief information officer in any company would have thought. Um, so there's al- always another side to crisis. Um, in Chinese, the character for crisis actually is also simultaneously opportunity. So um, I, I see there's always... In the darkness, you can see light. Um, the stronger the shadow, the stronger the light. So um, I think there is always something good coming out of these kind of things. So if you think of the Second World War, you know, a lot of um, advancements happened in medicine and technology because of the war. So I think it's the same with these kind of uh, global pandemics. Um, uh, people get more and more, more and more interested in how to technologically prevent uh, disease and, and deal with this situation. So human species is extremely resilient and adaptive and um, I, I see good things coming out of this also. Someone could say that you are optimistic or at least uh, I appreciate your point of view. It's a very disruptive. Uh, I mean, all disruptions uh, in terms of technology, advancement, uh, medicine, as you mentioned, are um, good or bad. Following a drastic change on event, something shaking, actually. It's like uh, going out of the comfort zone to obtain results. Just out of curiosity, what are you drinking now? I mean, I'm I'm drinking medicinal mushrooms right now with with my coffee and... Medicine mushrooms, polypore mushrooms that grow on trees specifically produce extremely strong antiviral, antibacterial, antifungal compounds. And uh, if we take an example of the study of mushrooms um, that led uh, and molds that led into the discovery of something in medicine was penicillin that was um, uh, figured out uh, during the war times that Uh, when they did experiments, they noticed that the specific strains of, uh, of, of molds were producing um, uh, natural uh, antibacterial, antiviral uh, compounds that fight off uh, the disease that they were trying to treat. So... The same is now being discovered about many other compounds. So uh, I, I'm a firm believer in nature's ability to come up with solutions. Um, and you could see also that a virus is a way of testing the whole biological ecosystem. Um, and it's an, it's a mandatory process for any species to evolve. And throughout history, we have seen every hundred years or so, 
some kind of virus or bacteria wiping out 10 to 40 percent of human population of this planet. Now, in modern times, um, this has not happened uh, recently, but we have had a lot of epidemics, small ones, but not, not big ones until this one. Uh, unless you take something like the AIDS virus that jumped out of primates to humans. But there is there is always these things coming and going. And that's part of the way of building resilience on a systemic level. So if you just um, take a bird eye view and make it less personal, uh, you start to see that this is definitely important process for evolution of human species now we are in a time when we can extend lifespan actually in modern times in the last 200 years we've been able to double life expectancy and it has been because partly because of industrialization and industrialization also in terms of our food um, delivery systems and hygiene and, and and so on so it has has made things much easier um, and modern healthcare and medicine has helped to extend lifespan. So it's very unlikely for someone my or your age to die of an infectious disease. So it's much more likely that you die in a car accident, for example. Um, but the interesting thing here is that as we double lifespan from, let's say, average lifespan of 40 to 80 years or 90 I think in Finland it's now around 84 or something like this. Um, as you extend lifespan, you're actually making the species less resilient because what is needed for the process of adaptation is is uh, life and death. Basically, you are born and you pick up information from the environment, epigenetics, that then influences gene expression and it basically makes genes that are uh, fruitful for your survival to be passed down to offspring. Now, the faster this process is, the, the faster the adaptation, obviously, to environmental conditions. Now, if we expand lifespans by doubling life expectancy simultaneously while we uh, increase exponentially the change in our physical environment, meaning food chain or... Uh, industrialization, the air that we breathe, whatever, there is less time for adaptation. So to me, it seems just from a transhumanistic point of view that we need to start modifying the human species in one way or another. Uh, or we, we need to start dying earlier uh, for the natural process to take place. So if the natural process doesn't happen fast enough, the species on a collective level becomes weaker. Uh, to the changing conditions. Now, if you take technologies, and technologies, those could be modern medicine, uh, those could be nature, uh, technologies coming out of nature. Um, so That's a very interesting point of view. From what concerns biohacking, you as a biohacker, what are you looking for? What drives your interest? As a biohacker, I'm looking at self-quantification what works for me but I'm informed by science and experts um, I'm also uh, 
interested in natural remedies as much as I'm interested in modern um, pharmaceuticals and um, technologies coming out of medicine. I think, um, and, and also technologies like wearables and activity trackers and so on, and the data and the big data, artificial intelligence, everything that goes into it. I'm just curious, like, how we can influence the process of our own evolution to extend our lifespans. I think that's a noble goal, but simultaneously I see there is a challenge right there, um, the weak point, which is basically how do we make sure that we are also resilient in terms of our environment. And this is actually the topic of our next book after the Parker's Handbook that we published last year. Um, the new book that is coming out. Yeah, so we, we are working on a new book that is called The Resilient Being, which is focusing on how do you build resilience from the level of a single individual cell up to the level of the organism and to its connection to its environment. I think it's very important in these times, not just from uh, the perspective of uh, building a strong immune system, but also to build um, or, or, or just to be a striving, uh, thriving, not striving, thriving human being. Um, but it's also important for the species in general because partly modern times, especially last 50 years, we have seen the increase of metabolic disease, uh, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, all kinds of degenerative diseases that accelerate because of our modern lifestyle is not supportive of good health. Now, it could be possible that in some decades, our biology might adapt to the fact that we're getting more sugar or that we sit long periods of time and we don't exercise that much anymore. It might be that it's less relevant, like down the road, that our biology finds a way to adapt to this condition. But I don't, I don't think you or me have the time for it. So we are more interested in, okay, so this is the current status quo, how do we make sure that we are in tune with that environment? And that's why I'm interested in studying not just modern approaches to to health and medicine, but also ancient techniques and technologies that have been used for thousands of years, not just, um, I mean, I mean, there's things like meditation and yoga and um herbal medicine and, and many other systems. So I find a lot of value from systems like diabetic medicine and the Chinese medicine. I, I'm at the same time, I'm, I've been grown up by European Aristotelian logic, uh, scientific vigor. So I'm definitely reading the papers. So if I take a supplement like, I don't know, chaga, which is here. It's a medicinal mushroom. Um, I like to read the 800 or so studied uh, pub publications and see what, what the science is actually saying about them. And then I might go and see what the folk medicine is saying about them. And I see some things are uh, definitely gener generational wisdom that has accumulated. And some of those are just beliefs. And um, But in the end... If you look at Ayurvedic medicine, and there is ideas, for example, on body types, that some people are, um, I mean, there is Kappa and Pitta and these other body types in Ayurvedic system. I see those as abstractions of genetic differences. 
that an observation was made. And now with modern science, we can see more concretely why people are different. Although we share most of our genes with each other, uh, the small differences make a big difference, for example, in terms of metabolism. So um, there is some truth to ancient systems. And when when you look at dietary systems, dietary systems that might extend lifespans, we are looking now at, for example, Mediterranean diet as something that is beneficial or what centarians seem to be eating in different locations around the world, so-called blue zones, where they live long lives like Okinawa in Japan, where they eat a lot of seafood or some islands in Greece. Uh, We study their diets and what they eat and there is very little similarities, but I see some similarities and one of... Uh, and, and that's actually outlined in the Biker's Handbook that the food quality is much higher. It's locally produced, it's accessible, it's fresh, it's, it's not usually mass-produced for these groups of people. Um, they eat slowly with friends. Um, the lifestyle is less driven by modern uh, BC city life. Um, so you, go, you actually walk up and down mountains or um, riversides to meet friends and um, they might smoke tobacco and drink some wine but still in the end their diet is full of polyphenols and um, nutrients it might be that seafood with its uh, readily available iodine and uh, many medicinal compounds are useful for the Japanese, Okinawan, while on the Mediterranean diet, more of the plant polyphenols are the key thing. But once we study these different systems, um, and and if you look at, you know, I I spoke about Ayurvedic system, you look at India. Why do vegetarians who don't eat um, meat products have okay levels of omega-3? While at the same time, we see that plants are the main source of omega-6 and seafood is the source of omega-3. And it turns out that things like turmeric seems to increase the spices they use. The spices they use in their food seems to increase the bioavailability of plant-sourced omega-3 oils. So um, there is some accumulated wisdom in different um, dietary practices around the world. And I'm very interested in these things. And if you take a modern scientific approach, the challenge is that the best we have right now is a reductionist logic. So you try to reduce a complex system into single variables and you you study which variable is doing what. Now, if if you take that approach, you end up with things like vitamin C. You're not studying the orange, you're studying vitamin C. You you look at what is the active compound. Um, If you are looking at medicinal mushrooms, I mean, there is many different compounds in something like this that you don't even know yet anything about in science, but there are some things that seem to have the highest effect, for example, beta-glucans. If you take a blueberry, the blueberry is, is not only the complexity of nutrients that are in there and and compounds, but you might look at something like anthocyanins in there as, as beneficial. Now, that's great, 
But um, the problem is that there is synergistics that happen um, biologically. So when you take something like that, hundreds of different compounds simultaneously, those seem to have some kind of cross-link that they interact with each other as they go through your metabolic pathways. And that is where its power really comes from. So if you take, you isolate. Clear, clear enough. Thanks for the clarification. So for instance, if we take one single compound element out of the whole picture, things are changing. Any example? Vitamin C, and you only take that, um, it doesn't necessarily have the same effect as eating a diet that is rich in vitamin C. Now, that's kind of the problem is when we study specific compounds and intakes, we can't really study complexity, so we just try to break it down into single variables. And that's what our medicine has done, trying to extract from that specific mold or mushroom things like penicillin, and then we use that as medicine. Now, that's great. Um, it's statistically extremely relevant. But what I'm interested also is the complexity of things that we don't even know yet anything about. And it's known by practitioners of, let's say, herbal medicine, that if you take an extract of a specific compound, it might have a very different effect. It can be less stable also biologically than if you took the whole like full spectrum extract. So um, that's the thing is um, if you have a very noticeable effect that something is hacking directly your pathways in a certain way, there is often a side effect. And that's the problem with modern medicine is that we have a lot of side effects for drugs and some things work for some people, some don't. Now, if you eat a diverse diet, we just know statistically that that's good for health. For example, for diversity of gut bacteria, and there is many complex interactions, not just nutrition levels. So, so um, that's kind of my approach. So I'm I'm looking holistically, but I'm taking reductionist approach at the same time, looking at the scientific evidence and trying to see how these things correlate and how they are related. And often there is no direct correlation. There is causation is not correlation is not causation so in the end practicing something like biohacking where i measure my different variables i look at single variables like my sleep quality or different um uh, you know blood values or whatever it's still an art as much as it, it is a science just like medicine many doctors in the end they're very good at heuristically, based on their experience, to figure out, okay, this treatment might work for this person, but we are not entirely sure if that's going to work. But I have a gut feeling that it might work based on my experience. So that's kind of the where we end up with once you go to the very advanced level of, of dealing with something. is um, You can take a one-size-fits-all approach to many things. Like you can look at dietary guidelines, like what is the minimum intake. But in the end, to find optimal health, the last mile of optimizing the last mile is not that easy. And it requires um, a lifelong iterative um, experiential process also of actually trying things yourself so so that you figure out like, okay, this, this works for me or this works for other people who I work with. So... Um, I'm fascinated about 
what's possible with modern technology in this context. Yeah, let me let me give you an example. So, if we take Japanese kind of diet, which is very much seafood, and you have al you have algaes and you have seaweeds and things that like that, scientists scientists have discovered that uh, certain algaes, um, seaweeds, and so on, they actually um, bind heavy metals in the seafood. We know heavy metals are not good because they compete with Uh, essential minerals in the body um, in terms of nutrient um, utilization and we we have we we highlight things like seafood and how important it is but the much more balanced approach is actually to eat some seaweed with it because then it's uh, um, it probably brings also some fiber and and so on it might help absorption in a certain way or digestive Uh, functioning, but also it might help you to reduce uh, the load of potential heavy metals uh, from seaweed, sea, seafood. So that's just an example of the complexity of interaction. So I always try to have some uh, wakame or or uh, nori leaves with my seafood if possible for, because of this reason. And now in many countries there is sushi restaurants Everyone has a sushi restaurant, but it really requires lifelong skill to prepare fresh uh, raw fish properly. For example, when the Japanese sushi chefs, when they cut a fish, they know exactly which parts to leave out. Or they might, when they cut 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 the fish so that they take the skin off, they might leave like one millimeter of uh, flesh still on the skin because they know that the parasites actually uh, when they penetrate the fish um, uh, skin they don't go for example more than one millimeter deep from the surface uh, so in that way you are taking care of the health of your clients as well so knowing how to prepare these things is very important the source and the quality is extremely important so if you take salmon that has been uh, farm fed It doesn't necessarily have the same nutritional profile as a wild one. But as biohackers, I mean, people are, they're interested in the details and they want to, you know, get to the nuts and bolts of what they're actually eating. And I see that partly as um, it, it's, a, it's a Western movement. Uh, it's, it's when you have, you know, your basic needs in Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You have your home, you have some income, you have some food. Then you start to think what my food has been eating, when it, where it's coming from, what's the quality. So it's 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 uh, it's when you have more time, you start to uh, get creative in these ways. So, um, but the problem in the world is definitely the populations who who are eating crap food because it's cheap and they can't afford anything else. And those are huge numbers of populations. Um, in countries where their traditional diet has been replaced by modern mass-produced food. When I was traveling in Peru, uh, in Latin America, um, I remember the diversity of the foods that they locally had in different places. But at the same time, The, the poorest people were eating the most mass-produced food ever. 
and you see that in, I mean, you can go in a westernized country anywhere. Um, you go to Italy, you go to US, you go to Finland, and the poorest people, they buy the cheapest stuff from Lidl, uh, or they go to uh, a hamburger chain, and it's it's not nutrient-dense. That's good stuff, indeed. Thank you, Timo. Let's talk about Italy. You've been in Italy many times. Any feeling? Um, what I really value about Italians is the, uh, the I, I would say, kind of um, importance you put on food quality regionally. Like that you're not from Italy, you're from uh, Milan or you're from Parma or you're, you're from uh, Sicily or whatever. Um, and... Uh, You value the local cooking and what your mother made, which came from your 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 land, and um, I think that's that is what can save Italians <laughs> in the end is is that kind of appreciation to the immediate physical environment and culture, and keeping that alive and not replacing it with some uh, imported uh, dream from America, which is mass produced. Um, because I mean, the, those people over there are the sickest people on the earth, uh, in a way. Pun intended. Sure thing. Uh, I mean, I I just I lived almost four years in Houston, Texas, in the U.S., and I can confirm that there is a huge variability on what to eat, when to eat, a lot of diets, a lot of fat diets, a lot of inattention let's say on what uh, is the quality and the source of food um, but I know that you as a biohacker has a detailed uh, has done a detailed analysis on the Italian food in particular um, let's talk about it yeah, yeah actually I actually did look into things like um, pasta and um, It seems that the blood sugar effect of it is less uh, compared to uh, eating bread or, or some other wheat product. And it turns out that the way how it's kind of produced with eggs and so on is, is kind of slowing down the blood sugar spike. So, so when I'm in uh, Italy, um, I'm happy to make a little exception, having my uh, primi, little... little uh, bit of uh, pasta uh, to go with um, and uh, I don't feel that tired after eating a small amount uh, compared to if I ate a piece of bread but I noticed that when I was in Italy and I visit there often uh, partly because I've been invited to speak there on, on, on a yearly basis for a long period of time is that um, it's very very hard to eat Um, kind of a ketogenic lifestyle if you if you wanted um, but at the same time I also don't want to uh, be hardcore strict with my dietary decisions uh, but take into account what is kind of the local culture and, and so on so when I'm in Italy I, I'm happy to have you know a small dish of pasta that's fine but have you noticed that in many restaurants they always bring bread first and um They all now know from scientific studies that if you prime your system with some protein, so you have some kind of uh, 
um, antipasti, basically. So you have a little bit of uh, ham or cheese or or something like this, uh, a little bit of protein. You wait a little bit and then you eat some uh, fast sugars like wheat products. The blood sugar spike will be less uh, than if you went uh, the other way around that you had some fast absorbing carbohydrates and then you had some protein Um, so I think it's a bit pity that that, uh, we are being trained that when you're hungry here's a piece of bread we should definitely follow the Mediterranean approach that if you feel hungry here's something salty um, protein to to begin with and and then go for um, for, for the food slowly and um, that's a much better dietary approach um, so if you're having breakfast and you like your cereal uh, I would first have some eggs and bacon wait a little bit and then maybe have the cereal so um, I think within any diet you can make improvements so that's kind of my point you don't have to go strictly ketogenic and that's the only approach that works or strictly paleolithic Um, but within any diet there's improvements that you can take in terms of uh, food choices Um, so you can make upgrades and improvements within food groups instead of just like some regular lettuce or salad you can have some rucola um, and maybe your tomato and maybe maybe instead of uh, having some cheap mozzarella you can have some buffalo mozzarella so so uh, I'm a big fan of it and the protein structure seems to be different so I'm a lactose intolerant uh, but with buffalo mozzarella I'm just fine uh, I'm not eating too much of milk products uh, but some aged cheese like some 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 uh, parmigiano um, I'm, I'm okay to to even eat a, eat a bigger piece so um, within any cultural dietary recommendation and system there is improvements that you can do now if you are having a tomato you can have a tomato that's produced in a, in a greenhouse with the least amount of nutrients possible it's big but it's not juicy, it's not tasty. You can taste that it's it's kind of half raw. But then when you have a really nice local Italian tomato from your grandma's um, garden, man, that's an explosion in your mouth. So why, why would you go and have that greenhouse version when you have that available? So that's kind of um, how I look at food, is that... There is always improvements in terms of nutrient density, in terms of quality, in terms of sourcing, in terms of um, uh, preparation, in terms of sequence in which you take them, in terms of what works for your body and what works for someone else. So, uh, yeah, uh, it's my favorite topic and I, I definitely love Italy. And we love Italy too, of course. Changing subject, you are uh, the organizer of uh, many events. One, one of the events is held in Helsinki. So it is going to happen and uh, what's the main topic? The Helsinki Summit topic is from lifespan to health span. So it's about life extension, but looking at healthy 
extension of life. So not just living in tubes with medication uh, and barely alive, but how do you uh, increase your quality years in your life? Basically, that's kind of the topic we want to focus on there. The Amsterdam Summit is focusing on uh, transpersonal psychology. So the topic is hack the ego, and that's where we are looking at uh, the biggest limitation to your growth, which is you, basically, uh, sabotaging your own patterns of behavior. Um, and uh, that's where we focus more about behavior change and the mind and psychology and uh, personal improvement and stuff like that. Thank you, Timo. Really good stuff. Um, let's uh, go back to your routine. Uh, what uh, kind of biohacks are you in? Uh, I've been looking into combining different biohacks together. So there is, you know, only that much time in a in a one day. So personally, I like to uh, have these different protocols. Uh, we actually documented together with Dr. Oli Soviat with some of our protocols on Ben Greenfield's uh, uh, blog. Uh, you can find it over there. Also, I think BarkerSummit.com blog has has some of those protocols. But I have an immunity protocol and also have a recovery protocol. And the recovery protocol right now is basically um, lying on a mattress, which is vibrating. Uh, we use Neurosonic for that. Um, so that kind of activates your lymphatic system and relaxes Um the body extremely effectively um, and helps micro circulation. Uh, then you might be lying on a spike mat so that uh, increases the production of endorphins and increase blood flow on the surface of the skin. Then you might be um, having uh, this is a new device that I'm using with it. Um, this is Sensate and it basically is a ultrasonic uh, sound device that you put on your collarbone and it, it vibrates in certain frequencies and it's extremely relaxing um, uh, and it comes from somatic uh, uh, techniques for trauma release basically the fact that the body stores uh, stress and it helps uh, the body to release the stress in a way. And I use that in combination with binaural beats. So I use some kind of uh, noise cancelling headphones. I might have uh, some essential oils going on, like lavender to relax. Um, I might take some supplements like like reishi uh, mushrooms. And um, uh, so th- that's something I do with some breathing techniques and meditation 20 minutes, it's very effective Um, for uh, immunity I like to combine infrared sauna with some supplements uh, some strong maybe make a tea strong spices um, uh, medicine mushrooms um, uh, some niacin to um, works energetically with an infrared sauna but at the same time also to help nutrient delivery across the blood-brain barrier and um, combining that with uh, if possible also traditional uh, Finnish sauna so also having the heat component not just the infrared component and then um, 
going to some kind of ice bath. Um, in the winter, it could be ice swimming. This time of the year, it could be ice bath. Now, unfortunately, I don't have access right now to uh, my second apartment where I actually usually do these things. But I'm really looking forward to being able to travel um, after this coronavirus craziness and just, you know, have this protocol every day like I used to. When it comes to exercise, I like to use X3 bar. I think it's very effective uh, using resistance training. And you can combine that with whole body vibration. Uh, you could even do something like electrostimulation. You might, you, you could use something like supplements, for example, beetroot to, to increase blood flow. So I like like to experiment with combination of things that makes it very interesting to me. Uh, so I have different protocols for different things. And with sleep, I've been playing around with micro dosing of uh, melatonin. So instead of ma- macro doses like one or two milligrams, I take like 0.1 or 0.2 milligrams. So I think in, in my age group, there is little benefit of doing it too much. So combining that with maybe some herbs that are relaxing and uh, and uh, good pillow. So, yeah. Thank you so much. With uh, this last tips and hints and biohacks, I invite you all our followers to follow you and your uh, summits and events you will find the description uh, links to your website to the biohackersummit.com healthhackingsummit.com there are also virtual events running thank you very much uh, Timo enjoy the rest of uh, the week and I hope you have a great time with me because I had I appreciate that so take care and live long. Uh